0: When I wear this, I feel like I'm about to put on a concert a little more anyway, so it's kind of fun. Um, Here we go. Thanks, man. Hey, it's good not to be alone, right, to have people who got your back, so. So I was about to say, and I think God wanted me to illustrate that even further, uh, wow, Lord, like, open our eyes to see differently. So on on days like this, where your projector decides to retire, and it gives you no notice, you know, so... um, but it, it's cool because I think God can challenge us. Guys, the reason why we're here, my name is Will, I'm the pastor of this church. The reason why we're here, why we come together, you could list a thousand different things and none of those necessarily would be wrong, but the fact of the matter is, there's a God in heaven, I'm not him, you're not him, no matter how awesome we are, no matter how beautifully they sing, they are not him. So we come here together to worship the one true God, right? Right? And when I say worship, I can simplify it by, by this. Like, he is superior to us. He is God and I am not. So every time, whatever I'm doing, whatever you're doing, that puts us in a posture that says, dang, you're God and I'm not. Like, that's worship. And so we got wrong definitions. We think worship is music. That's actually praise. The word praise could mean him to sing out good things about God. So it's a praise that we're doing here. As well as if I said let's say, a praise about God. So give me one, for example. What can we praise God for right now? He helps us. God is good, yeah. He's faithful. He's holy. He's almighty, trustworthy, sovereign. He loves us. What was something else back here? He never leaves us. Like, God doesn't change, right? So, like, you know he's going to be there. So we can praise that. So on a day to like today, oh, it jacks with us when our routine's thrown off, right? And some oh, I don't know the words. And it's like quieter. It's a little awkward. It's like, yeah. Sing it out. You know, praise God. We can praise God in so many ways. So it's like, okay, Lord, show us. Open our eyes to see uh, what you're up to and why. I mean, did God send an angel down to break our projector? I don't know. Okay. Did Satan send a demon to do it? I don't know. But either way, God is good and he's in control. So guess what? I'm going to make you open your Bibles today. You have to dust it off because you can't just depend on the verses I put up here. So if nothing else, that's going to be awesome. So find a Bible. Find a Bible. There's also one in the seat in front of you. It'll challenge your eyes because the print's small. You might have it on your phone. You might have one of these old school ones that you need to dust off a little bit. And we're going to pray. Uh, but first of all, who else gets this more than, more than uh, someone else in the world? A mom, okay? A mom gets things don't go right, right? You make a plan as a mom, the simple act of going to the grocery store, if you've ever been a mother, uh, yeah, sure, we'll pick up a few things. It'll be great. Yeah, right right somebody wets their pants someone screams they want the candy bar like it never goes smoothly even trying to celebrate mother's day for many of you is not going to go smoothly or didn't go smoothly if you tried to practice it yesterday right so moms get it let's let's pray to god let's thank him for moms because if you are a mother either you know by biology by adoption or spiritually god has Put you in that position, and therefore, He's equipping you and helping you to be all that He needs you to be in that. So let's praise God for moms today. Celebrate you, mothers. Pray for you for strength, um, all the different stages of life. Some of you got diapers. Some of your kids are so old they're going to need diapers again soon. So and everyone in between. <laughs> hey, I resemble that remark, right? Yeah. Um, but let's just let's just lift this up to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, so much for humor and your goodness and for breaking our projector or letting it break, whatever happened, so that we gotta dust off the Bibles and get it out. Thank you for the flexibility of of all the brothers and sisters here, Lord. Thank you for everyone you brought in. We praise you for moms. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for giving these women an opportunity to see the nurturing side of God, to see the unconditional side of God. And so all of us who aren't mothers, we we praise you for the mothers that we've had in our life. And we ask you to strengthen them and bless them this day and every day. Lord, uh, lead us into your truth. Lead us into worship of you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Now, if you really want to see a slide, you're welcome. I won't be offended if you turn around and look at the back there. Now, the title of today's sermon is this. it's going to make me sound either more foolish than I am or smarter than I am. But, but we're going to talk about the definition of some words. So the first, the title is this, agapaho. Do you know what that is? Agapaho. It, what it means is it's the Greek word that means it's the verb version of, a God, of, of what we call agape love, God's love. So when you are loving like God, it would say what you're doing is agapaho. Okay? Say that, agapaho. Cool. This is coming from 1 John, so turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. We are going through the book of 1 John at a snail's pace and just trusting the Lord to just, man, he's revealing so much riches and goodness from this time, so we're not in a hurry. And you'll see this today, that we're not in a hurry. So the focal verse... 1 John, chapter 3, starting with verse 16. Okay, you there? Good? Here's how we ended last week. With this question. I asked all of you to put out your hands and, and ask, ask a question somewhere in, in this regard. Lord, teach me, or, or Lord, how do I love my brother. Because that's kind of where John has us. He has us thinking about, about this love, thinking about loving one another, thinking about how important and integral that is to the life of a Christ follower. So we could offer that question in the positive, like, Lord, how do I love my brother? Or we could ask that question in a more a negative term, like, Lord, how am I not loving my brother? So I don't want to lose that, but we're starting with that question there. Uh, And then I'm going to put you on a little rewind. So our focal verse starts with verse 16. Look back at, at verse 13, because we want to build off of this. Remember, this is a letter from John to believers. And so the fact that I'm giving you four or five verses at a time, in some ways does it an injustice, because I'm not giving you the whole letter. But we don't have the attention span for that. Uh, So And also, I think there's some some richness to slowing down. But I want to go back a little bit. Verse 13, if you look at your Bible, most of these verses I've I've put up here are the King James Version. Uh, You might have a different version. Verse 13 says this, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Well, let me give you a definition here. That, That word, world, we talked about this. We talked about it not too long ago. The word is cosmos. Cosmos. And what it has to do with is a system. So it isn't the, like the world, the earth. Like it's not causing earthquakes because it hates you. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the people and their systems. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world, the cosmos, hates you. Okay, stop there for a second. World systems. Understand, even in this room right now, there's a collision of systems. Each one of us were born and raised in a certain, a certain system. And what that means is this is how we do things. This is how we make life work. And you come here to a place of worship and you have a lot of ideas and systems at play. This is what we always have done ever since I've been part of church, Right? This is what church is like. This is what we do on Sundays. I mean, the fact that we're here on Sunday, which we've designated the Lord's Day, is a system. Okay? So I don't mean to trash on that. All the dudes left behind were like, well, how do we walk this out? And they created systems. But let's humble ourselves to understand that we're, we're part of a system. So don't be surprised, brothers, that the systems of the world come against you, disapprove of you, challenge you. Okay, so I'm middle-aged, right? People younger than me, people older than me, right, here in this church. And, and something that's interesting that I've found in, in, in my life so far is we're often not honest, open, and transparent with one another. And so the people who've gone before us don't share, oh yeah, that's normal, that happens to you, right? They don't, they don't share that with you, and so what ends up happening is you're surprised, right? Like, hey, any woman, like over 40 years old, I mean, things start happening, right? And the younger women need to know that. Men, what happens, like when you, how are you gonna deal with it when your hair turns gray or falls out? Some of us know that, others don't know that yet. And so you're surprised when these things happen. Uh, you you know, you have a teenage child and they have to kind of like pull away from their family. If you've ever been through that before, no one told you, you'd be surprised. So John's trying to say, guys, don't be surprised, man, if these people, they come against you. Okay. Does that make sense? So I don't want to rush through that because understand, and we talked about that, Uh, Last week, the world coming against us. Well, here's another thing I want to throw out there to you. Within this, Brandy and I were having a conversation. And you know what's the weird thing about about time passing? When when time passes, the culture and the social norms in which you are most comfortable with as a a 17-year-old, 25-year-old, they go away. Some of you thought Elvis was risque, right? The way he danced. Then other of you thought Madonna was risque. And now there's female rappers who are blatant about sexual things, right? So depending on which culture is your definition. You used to wear your hair this way. And what's happened over time is there's always this saying, kids these days, right? Anyone... Have an adult older than them that was alive in the 50s where they heard an adult around them say something like that like kids these days. Somebody? Yeah, okay. 60s. Someone who was a teenager in the 60s, did you see a hair adult say, "Oh yeah, kids these days, they're doing stupid things," right? Okay, what about 70s? Kids these days are doing stupid things. Okay, 80s. Kids these days doing stupid things, right? 90s, kids these days doing stupid things. 2000s, kids these days doing stupid things. The 2000 teens, right? Kids these days doing stupid things. Now, kids these days doing stupid things in the 2020s. Do not be surprised as you get older, there's a natural thing that happens. The culture, the cosmos in which you're comfortable with, it starts to become obsolete. And so you begin to get like bitter about it or kids these days, okay? But if we're not careful, this impedes on our ability to love people. If we think that our cosmos we grew up with was somehow more holy than the one now. Does that make sense what I'm saying to you? I think probably the hardest thing about being 95 now Not only the doctor's appointments every week you'd have to go through to be 95, but the fact that this world's got to seem stupid and crazy to you. But guess what? Your world was stupid and crazy too. Oh yeah, but there's kids, they take these pills. Oh yeah, they did that. In the 90s, they did that in the 80s. They did that in the 70s. They did that in the 60s. Oh, but there's abortions. They're killing babies. Yeah, they did that in the Bible times. They've been doing that all along, right? Oh, but there's, you know, premarital sex. Oh, yeah, yeah, they did that, right? Adultery. Oh, yeah, they did that. Oh, murder. Yeah, I remember, right? Last week, Cain and Abel with a rock. Guys, this can impede on our ability to love. If we're surprised that the world system isn't with us it doesn't matter which world system you're comfortable with it is not with us do not be surprised so my wife who's on the outside of this conversation kind of comes in and she said and i thought this was pretty pretty profound in that she said shouldn't we not want any of the world systems like and i'm like yeah that's obvious right like i shouldn't be so bitter that my system's not operating anymore I should realize that all of them, the one I grew up in, the one I was 20 in, the one I was 30 in, the one I was 40 in, the one I was 50 in, and so on, those were all world systems. And the one God who overcomes all of those has been the same the whole time. And so whether you're 19 or 95, sure, kids these days, but kids in your days too. Don't be surprised that the world system would disagree with you. Because if you are, it's going to impede on your ability to love, which is what John keeps coming back to. Chapter 3, verse 14, he goes on to say, we know that we've passed out of death into life because we love, right, this is the verb version, agapaho, the brothers. Who are the brothers? Yeah, in and, and the context of this, it's the brethren, what is the old school um, and maybe we should use that again because then it, it's like everybody, right? Like the men and women, Were the brothers, you think just the men. So, you know, who cares about the women? Just pay attention to the men. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is this word here actually means whoever you have a relationship to. So like that word could be used for coworkers or people on your baseball team or whatever. But in the context of this, he's talking about this is how you know. This is how you know you've passed out of that death Pattern that you're in into a pattern of life. And that is if you love in an action way the brothers and sisters, all the believers in Christ. Whoever does not love, if you choose not to love, once again, the action word, agapaho, right? You abide in death. It'd be like riding the train off the cliff and you don't jump out. Verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. See, I wanted to include this because I need to bring you back to that truth too. Please understand, guys, eternal life isn't like after death. Eternal life is a spiritual thing. It's a transformative thing that happens to you at the point in time in which you're saved. And you become an eternal being even though the shell, the body that you're in, is dying. The body that you're in is still going to pay the price for sin. It needs to be shed so that you can get to completeness. It needs to, you know, your spirit, it needs to leave this body at some point in time. This earth has been corrupted. It needs to melt down and burn at some point in time. Okay, now, now here after all that, right? John 3, or First John 3.16. Not John 3.16, 1 John. 316, by this we know love. Now, this love, I'll have you, this is the word you know, right? The agape love, as we would say it. Apparently, in, in the butchered uh, Greek way of saying it, agape. But, you know, we Americanize it or whatever, agape. Agape. And that is, the, that, is that love of God, By this, we know God's love. That he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Super important with this. Some of you in here are the brothers and the sisters. You believe. Some of you might not be. And if you're not, I'm really glad that you're here. Um, If you are, What he's talking about here, the promises, the commands, they're they're for you. If you're not, he's asking you to come join the brothers and sisters and follow these and reap the benefit of these. Does that make sense? So by this, we know God's love. That he laid down his life for me. I love you. Prove it. Okay, I'll die for you. we remember that Jesus died on the cross, right? You've heard the story. Maybe it seems uh, surreal or, or, or mystic. But I think that we've, the thing that we forget is see Jesus in order to pay for all of our sins, which he did, he had to be spotless. So let's say he lived the 34 years, right? As the historians say, somewhere around the 33, 34 years. Who cares which number, okay. He had to be spotless all 34 of those years. Because you understand for someone to come to you and say, Mike, I I want you to save everyone in this column, man. And if, if you'll let me just shoot you and kill you right now, that would happen. That's a hard decision. But not as hard as I was like, okay, Mike, I'm going to have you live about 85 years. And I want you to spend 85 years giving yourself up and everything that you want for all those people around you. Like, that's harder. You get that? So... Jesus dying on the cross was, and I don't mean to disrespect it, that was awful, right? That was an awful period of time. But how hard was it for him to live that full time in spotlessness? To resist every temptation, to not grab on to what the world had to offer. Like, that was hard too. And his death was particularly bad, okay? Because theologically, he took on all our sin. Apparently, it blew his heart up. I mean, worse than the average person getting crucified. But what this is saying is, by this we know that Jesus loved us. Prove it, Jesus. Okay, I will. I'll give up my whole 34 years for you, everything I could have got in the future, all the kingdoms I had, all the rights I could have had, all the power, the comfort, the home I could have had, the marriage I could have had, the family I could have had, the work I could have had. I'll give that all up for you. And then at the end of it, I'll die. God will forsake me. I will die. My heart will explode because of all the crap you're going to do in your life. Prove it he did. And if we want to follow him, our goal, our goal guys, just because he did that and we're not going to get perfect doesn't mean we don't set our goal in Christ' likeness. So in Christ likeness and this is hard, and I'm not saying this is someone who figures this out on a daily basis our goal is to give our lives up. Our desires, our wants, our comforts for those that God puts in our life. Maybe He'll have you die for Him, I don't know. But if not, all the days you have, this should be the goal to lay down your life for others. You want to be a dad? Yeah, you gotta lay your life down for your kids. You wanna be a mom? You gotta lay your life down. For your kids, you want to be a wife or a husband, you got to lay down your life for your kids. You want to be in relationship so close that it's family, you have to lay down your life for others. This is the way to life, the way to eternity, the way of God. Now, love, that's a hard thing to define, right? Because in our culture, we have the one love word that means I love cheeseburgers, I love God, I love my wife, right? I love baseball. They didn't have quite that that same... uh, Issue in the Greek vocabulary. So this word, agape, um, this is a love, and it's a noun to describe a love that is God, that's from God. And this love is not based on your feeling. It, rather, it's determined out of an act of the will. It's a joyful resolve to put the welfare of others above your own. See, agape love demands an action. It demands an action. It is, I put my welfare behind the welfare of the person I'm choosing to love. It is the love of God. It's what just comes out of God, right? It's like who he is. And it's the reason why there's truths like this, like why you were still sinners, Christ died for you. If you were the one that was crucifying him, he died for you. If you were the one that worked against him, he died for you. If you were one of the Pharisees, who commanded for him to be killed, if you're one of the crowds people who yelled crucify him, he was dying for you. If you whipped him, if you spit on him, if you put the crown of thorns in him and made him bleed, he died for you. And that's only possible because this is just the awesomeness that comes out of God. That's what that is, awesome juice that comes out of God. That's agape. It's what it is. And so you and I, right, it's hard because we want to, in our own will, I'm going to do that. God's good all the time. Really? Do you really feel that or are you just saying that? Yeah, I just, just love you. just love you guys. And you believe me because I'm talking in a really quiet, calm voice. That is not the way this works. Agape demands agapaho. Love demands the action of loving. Here's the problem. Loving that way, the agapaho, the loving of the agape love, does not come naturally to you. It doesn't come naturally to you. Well, I don't know. I really try. I'm really a loving person. No, okay, granted, sure. Maybe you're a nice person or a gentle person. But this you understand right now in the nursery, you have beings created by God who have to cry to let you know they pooped or they need to eat. Self-preservation. You've got three-year-olds who are like, we've taught don't jump off the couch, you're going to break your arm, right? We have taught self-preservation. We have taught what do you want to be when you grow up? And this has been throughout time in our American culture, in our Western culture, it's even got worse because now every life is so valuable that we don't even fight you hand-to-hand anymore. We just drop bombs and then food because we don't want to lose our people. This is what we do with war. The, the individual is so important in our culture that like, the selfishness is at like, another level. And so even selfishness, which sounds awful, let me. this is a more gentle word, uh, self-care, self-preservation, self-protective. Those, those, are, those are positive. And what, what that comes from is, I need to take care of myself because God can't take care of me. I need to uh, protect myself because God can't protect me. I need to get what I need to get because God won't give it to me. And it's Satan's twisting and lie since the garden. Really? Did he say that you'd really die if you ate that fruit? I mean, come on, it looks good. Do you think that maybe God is like holding out on you because he really doesn't have what's, oh, dang, you're right. You're right, little serpent man. I'm glad I listened to you. This looks really good. Let's take this fruit. It just continues to be that way. We have to self-preserve, self-protect, self-provide. So we are incapable of producing such a love in ourselves due to our self-focus. So if we are to love as God loves, right? Agapaho, say the word again, agapaho. Okay? That love can only come from its source. Which, who's its source? Who's the source? God. There we go. Now, how does what God have um, get to you if you believe? Let's talk practical. What's that? The The Holy Spirit. See, because here's how it works. Let's take all the religiosity out of it. There's a God who's so powerful he can make the universe, but he's far away. So we always look at the sky, Right? If it rains, he's mad. If it's sunshine, he's happy. If the crops grow, I did something right. If they die, then I did something wrong. This distant God, we gave him different names. We tried to explain him away. And then he was so complicated, we thought there was no way this guy, one guy could do all this himself. So then we started saying there's a God of this and a God of that and a God of that. Well, the reality is he's like, no, I actually, before you were rebelled, I actually walked with you, men and women. And I explained to you, all of creation, and I asked you to help me rule it in the way I commanded you to. And once you said no, and kept saying no, and kept rebelling, pretty soon, like, I had to sort of step back. But don't worry, I sent you people to remind you that I am here, I am alive, and I'm in control. And guess what you did to those people? What did they do to the people he sent? Killed them, right? Like our projector. Dead, right? Up to to the farm upstate, right? So killed them, so he's like okay here's what we'll do instead uh i'm gonna come down god in human form and i'm gonna come live amongst you and then what do they do to him right but before he left they're all like well it was cool because when you were here you kind of reminded me casey because it was like man i'm hungry and then he made bread like multiply it's like okay this is cool now i can start to trust this distant god because he gives me bread and fish I can start to trust this distant God because I was stuck on a storm on the big ocean, right? The sea. And then he calmed the storm so I didn't die. But then the dude is like, I got to go. And they're like, where are you going? Where are you going? Because I need you for the bread, the sea, the ocean. My buddy Lazarus who died and you raised him from the dead. Like, I need that. The cripple all of a sudden got up and walked. Like, you can't go. And so really he's like, here's what's better. If I go, you get God with you. Totally underutilized. Totally underutilized by, by Christians. The fact that we have the full 100% presence of God in us, leading us and directing us. And of course, we're extremists, so we're either like, yeah, that's like some sort of small, still voice that has nothing to say about reality, or it's some extremely loud, right? Like demonstration of power, and it's not somewhere in between. What this is saying here is this, Romans 5, 5, if you want to make a note there. uh, This is part, the second part of the verse, it says, God's love, right, which is this agape love, has been poured. I'm I'm not talking like sliced and dished to you, poured, like drowned you, waterboard you, okay? So much you can't take it all in. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Romans 5, 5. Like, that's what the point it is. You see, like, oh, Connor, for you to love anyone, man, it's gonna be impossible unless you, you come to the realization, right, as a worshiper to say he's God and I'm not, and he is, like, pouring that on me, like, so much so that it's like, of course I can love Casey. Of course I can love Ross, right? Like, well, what if they hurt you? The God of all the universe is for me. What if they kill you? I go to heaven. Right? What if they're mad at you? I don't know. What if they leave your church? Well, there's like 140 of them meeting right now within a 10-mile radius, so they could just go to one of those and talk about God. I don't have a special Bible they don't have. Right? I'm, I'm glad you're here. I hope we stay together a long time and God does awesome things to make us worshipers of Him, but... I don't got a corner on the market. The gospel is everywhere. So if he's poured through the Holy Spirit. So from God's love towards us, we're able to love one another. And when you do this, you're actually at a core level being like Jesus. Jesus is like, follow me. Do what I do. My yoke is easy. So the work I'm going to have you do, I do it with you. And so even though it's not necessarily easy, it's lighter because I help you carry the burden. But you're supposed to, at a core level, guys, that's the foolishness. We, we take this Christian word and, and instead of like a Christ follower. We get it like I'm an Arizona Cardinals follower. Okay, you know who they drafted, right? But if you're a Jesus follower, what's Jesus up to? I don't know. Okay, that's where we've gone wrong. But I'm a Christian, I can tell you the YouTube videos and what they say about that. Okay, but is that what Jesus is up to? I don't know. Christ followers do what Christ does. So this phrase here, which is kind of pulled out of a Bible verse that I'll show you, but it's so important. As he is, so are we in this world. As he is, he being Jesus, so are we in this world, as he is, so are we in this world in context, it's from first um actually, that's not from that one. but anyway, first John three seventeen, I think it got lost in there, but anyway, let me see if I got that nope. So as he is. So, are, so we are in this world. Hmm. So what are the implications of that? What are the implications? What would Jesus do? It sounds cliche, right? What should I do? What would Jesus do? Well, he'd probably do this. Well, why aren't you doing that? I'm not Jesus. Well, you're following him, right? You're doing what he does? And trying to be like him? Yeah. So right now, what we're kind of talking about specifically is loving our brother. As he is, so are we in this world. John goes on to say, verse 17, take a look back at that. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Now it's getting really practical. And we don't like to think of this because, guys, we've, we have uh, created charity. We've created charity, um, and, then, and then there's the, the Christian responsibility. And so we have specialized everything. Our, our teaching of the, of the Bible is to holy men, right, professionals. Our charity is to professionals. And Jesus says, you want to follow me, what you're going to do is you're going to share of your life. You're going to to share of what you have. When you see your brothers and sisters in need, you're going to be there for them. And so when the world sees that you're there for each other, man, that might be the first thing that attracts them is your love. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. That's how you love one another. Is that what's happening in church? I speak up, is it? No. We desire it to be, but we struggle with it. And, and, you know, there's nothing against the charity organizations, but even Jesus was like, man, but Jesus, there's people starving and, and hungry. He goes, there's always going to be needy among you, right? There'll be a time for that, but, but I'm with you now. And so when I look at that, I mean, he was talking about that time. He wasn't always going to be with them physically present, But also it was the heart of the matter, you see, because if it started with with the love for Christ and then you offer charity, that is so much different than simply offering charity. Because we live in a culture where charity is so prevalent, as a matter of fact, we keep just printing money and giving it to people, right? So employers are telling me it's hard to find someone who works because there's so much charity available, no one wants to work. So being charitable is a good thing, but it has to come from the love in your heart. And that's why Jesus is like, stop, don't just go fill a need. Like, be with me, and then from me, love your brothers. And so we have an opportunity here. One of the things that we get to do in a fellowship is we get, to, we get to identify brothers and sisters in Christ. And we get to share in each other's lives. And we get to be there for each other. So as much as, guys, and, and the world, I mean, we want to go out, we want to love people, but there's a responsibility that we have in-house to the brothers and sisters in the faith. Not not just in our church, but the other ones. But it starts here because it's obvious, right? You see each other. If this is done right, you don't just come Sunday. You get that, right? Like, you're never going to learn by just listening to me go crazy for 40 minutes. It's, just, it's never going to hit home. Hopefully, it just gets you, like, sparks that and an interest to get you to go home and dust off that Bible yourself and pray, be involved in a fellowship that glorifies God, that helps you, that grows and in that fellowship is where they're going to know when you're struggling and in that fellowship is when they're going to come alongside of you because this whole thing like, hey, let's have 2,000 people in our church and then hire five people to do all this was not what Jesus was talking about right? What it was is, hey, all of us come together, whether it's five or 5,000, we help each other. We're there for each other. We love ourselves or love our, our church family and the people around us, and we're kind and generous to the community around us in such a way that people are like, dang, like, what are these people about? And they want to come into that. Verse 18, little children. The word here for children has to do with students. So he's like, hey, my students, the people learning from me as we follow Jesus, let us not love, right, in the action way, in word or talk, but indeed in deed and truth. That's weird, word and talk. Did you catch that? Any other translations They have two different words there? The ESV says word or talk. Verse 18. Anyone else have anything different? Words or speech. Tongue. Yeah, I I like tongue. I had kind of wrote that down because it's like a language. So what it is is this. Did you know, have you seen this? And It was in the Bible times too. Jesus was talking about the people who got up and gave great prayers. Like you could train yourself to do like what seems to be really awesome prayers, right? You ever heard someone pray like, whoa, they really know how to pray that way. But then you met them in their life and they're like, yeah, that's just a memory verse for them. Like, you can even pick out where the people were trained by how they pray. Like, how many Lord Gods, Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, if they use Thou's and Shall's and stuff like that. You get trained. There's a language in which you can speak, which seems like you're loving, seems like you're worshiping, which is really just a language. Or if you're a big mouth like me, who's always talked for your living, right? Like, you say too many words. So you have to be careful not to, as the saying goes, write checks with your mouth that you can't cash. All the exhorters out there are like, oh, dang, yeah. Oh, I'll do it. Stop. Can you really? Can you really? No. Okay. Okay. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. That's why Jesus is like, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then don't do what I ask you to do? See, now that Jesus left, because whoever he is, we are also to be in the world. We have to love in, not only our words but in our deeds. We need to not only love in our prayers, and our recitals, and our singing of praise and worship songs or hymns, in compliments and flattery, but indeed in heart. 1 John, four seventeen. You can write that down or flip there. By this is love perfected with us. Okay, now I'm on my edge of my seat. Who wants love perfected with us? Me. I want love perfected for us because what the Bible keeps saying again and again, and you're tired of hearing it, but not doing it yet, is that, our loving is everything, right? And how we're, how we're loving others and loving God is everything. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. 1 John four seventeen. Flip back now making you bounce around a little bit. First John 3, back to 3, verse 19. And right here, I think I want to give you another obstacle that we have here. I think John's gives us another obstacle that we have into loving well. And First John three nineteen says this. By this we shall know that we are of truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, verse 20, God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Hey, what's, what's heart mean? When they say the word heart there, what are they talking about? The core of who you are. Yeah. The, the inner man, the center of a man or a woman, right? What, what kind of things reside in there? Which aspects would you say? Feelings and emotions? Right, like, Feelings, emotions, what was that? Everything, right? Like personality, things you treasure. Yeah, values, right? Morals, it could be all the things that you think are true. Like everything at the core of you that drives all your actions would be your heart. So whenever they say that, right? By this, we shall know that we are of truth and reassure our heart, reassure our emotions, our feelings, our thoughts. Reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. So if I pull out just that verse 20, take a look at verse 20. For whenever our heart condemns us, what's that mean? How does your heart condemn you? What do you think? Guilt, yeah. Shame. Doubt. Like when the inner of you is like condemning you. It's it's judging you, it's calling you no good or there's no way out. It's condemning has this connotated hopelessness and finality to it. Not like, oops, I made a mistake, but like I'm bad, I'm wrong. So whenever your heart condemns you, whenever your heart is like, oh man, it's just it's tearing you down, what what's the effect that has on you? What was that? Lost, depression, yeah. Doubt, what was that over here? Discouraged. Unable to forgive yourself. And I would probably add others, right? And so you just see that if you aren't loving yourself by by handling yourself with grace and mercy and forgiveness like God would handle you, how in the world are you ever going to love anyone else? You just can't, right? That's why Jesus is like, the most important thing is love the Lord your God, right? With everything that you have. Yes, because the agape love has to come from him. It has to be poured on me through the Holy Spirit so much so that I can share it. And then secondly, it's got to act. So I have to love my neighbor as I love myself. Self. You see, it all kind of comes together. So whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. I mean, do you understand, guys? I know we just could go too far with this, but do you understand that there's a, there's a spirit within you? There's a spirit within you, the eternal part of you, not just the Holy Spirit. It's, it's the part of you that connects with the Holy Spirit. It's the part of you that, that's forever, that's eternal, right? There's a spirit in you, and at some level, every Christian should be talking to themselves, honestly, right? You should be, as, as Martin Lloyd-Jones, the author, wrote, like, take, take yourself by hand, as he said that. And I love that, right? It was old English the way that he said, take yourself by hand and have a conversation with yourself. Like, is your heart condemning you? If it is, then you go on to what John says here. But God is greater than our heart. Man, he is greater than your heart, and he knows everything. If he says that you're worth it, you're worth it. If he says there's forgiveness, then there's forgiveness. Like, he gave us a story about a, a, a prodigal son to, to illustrate us. And when that prodigal son came back, he didn't make amends. He didn't repay his dad. He didn't even apologize. His dad just knew by his action, by his heart, that his son was home and he reached them. And, and then threw a party, right? Kissed him, hugged him, threw a party. Like, that is the God that we have. Whenever your heart condemns you, no, stop. Truth is more important than feelings, Truth is more important than feelings. Truth is more important than feelings. And if we don't get truth into the inmost being of ourselves, our feelings will be affected. And this is why we don't unite. This is why we fall apart. This is why we don't love. At a core level, it's because we're so harsh with ourselves. But don't get this wrong. You have a responsibility. Be holy because he's holy. Right? Love your neighbor. There's things that you need to do. I get that, but it's got to come first from this love from God. Verse 21, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, then we have confidence before God, yes, right? Confidence. You know what confidence says to you? Confidence says, I know that you love me, God. I know that you love me. I mean, for the Bible tells me so, right? You can go back to the roots of it from Sunday school. Like, you know that God loves you. I mean, you can't argue with the fact that God is so in control. He chose how many days you would live, the number of hairs on your head, Right when you'd be born, where you would live, right? He knew all of this. God is all knowing, and so no matter what your feelings are, no matter what your circumstance, he he knows. Surprise, God? Nope. Surprise, but no, he's not surprised. But God, circum- you no, know, he's still God. He knows what you're doing. He knows what you're doing. If our heart doesn't condemn us then we can stand in confidence before God that says, I know that you love me. I know that you love me. And not that I don't use wisdom, not that I don't use boundaries, but I can love my neighbor because you love me. I can love myself because you love me. I'm going to grab something from back here. Sorry I got on the camera. Today we have set up here uh, communion. Depends on your tradition, Lord's Supper, whatever you want to call it. But what it is remains the same. You see, we uh, Jesus before he left, before he was killed, uh, he was observing the Passover with with his closest disciples, right? And he used the circumstance, the situation, to illustrate straight truth. And there was an invitation in this to come to the table, as it were, with Jesus. And so we've been given this instruction that as often as we do this, we do it remembering. So what did that mean? Every time you did Passover? He didn't give instruction. So any time that we come together and there is, you know, Drinking and eating, right, whatever this is, we have an opportunity together to proclaim Christ, as Paul wrote, until, until he comes back. And so we have this set up in the back here, and I would, I would ask you to, as the worship team comes forward and they'll play, play some music, that, that this would be helpful for you to come to the table. And, and take this little cup of juice here, and we do this, and we remember Jesus' blood. Which, because he loved us so much, that he sp- allowed his blood to be spilled to pay for our sins. And that when we take this bread, that we would do this, remembering that his body was broken as a sacrifice for you and I. Because only after this can, can I come up here and tell you, God loves you. He loves you. He's not waiting for something else to be done to save you. It's done. I mean, it's, it's for you to receive. And if you really do receive, you will be different. And it's your responsibility to examine yourself. To know if you are his and if you are saved. But if you are, then this is an opportunity for you to come to the table with Jesus and, and, and take the bread and take the juice and give thanks to Jesus for what he's done. To receive his love, agape, agape. To receive his love and to share it with others, agapaho. So Lord, let's just pray. Lord, we pray that you bless this time Of reflection. That you'd bless this time of coming to the table with you, Jesus. And we just ask, Lord, that you would fill us. Overflow us with your love. And lead us and guide us into loving our neighbor. We take this cup, we remember your blood. Which washed away all our sins. We remember your sacrifice, your body with this bread whose physical death paid the atonement for our sin. We praise you, Jesus, for your powerful and good, and we love you. I pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.